This, this, this is you. KUT. KUT, Austin. Stop. This is KUT. I'm Jennifer Staten. It's been a difficult and upsetting year so far. The coronavirus pandemic, police killings of black people, reckonings about racism, and a deeply divided electorate ahead of the presidential election. So you can't really blame people for sometimes trying to look on the bright side of things. But that optimism can actually go too far. It's called toxic positivity. And I talked recently via Zoom with Central Texas neuropsychotherapist Janice Rockman about what it is and why it can be so harmful. So it's more than just being happy. You know, it's more than just optimism. It's toxic positivity is when there's an overgeneralization of the happiness, the optimism, and this general state of being. The results in, it needs to be connected to this negative result, which is denial, minimization, and invalidation of authentic human experiences. So can you give us an example or two of what toxic positivity might look like or sound like? When someone says, this really difficult thing just happened to me, and then someone responds and says, oh, well, at least you now know X, Y, and Z, or at least it's better now than later. I've literally just flat out seen people say, you'll, you'll be okay, you're strong, you know, and it's like dismisses that person's experience. During times like right now, the coronavirus pandemic is continuing. There's a yeah. lot of difficult news about ongoing discussions and awareness about racism. What's wrong with some positivity? There's like a list of about 10 cognitive distortions. And one of the things on the list is all or nothing thinking. It's like a pendulum. It has to be all one thing or not. It's helpful for us to move away from that all or nothing thinking. And so it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and. So we can still sit with someone in the seat of their pain. We can still acknowledge what they're feeling. We can still let them have authentic experiences. We can still practice the art of not giving unsolicited advice and feedback and getting more curious about someone's perspective. And at the same time, offer positivity and spaces for gratitude in balance, you know, so having that balance. Positivity as a whole is a great thing, by the way. As long as we're not doing one of these five things, so as long as we're not using the positivity to deny, to disconnect, to disregard, to disassociate, or to dismiss someone else's ideas. So if we're not doing that, you know, yay for positivity. What happens to the other person in the relationship or the relationship itself if one of the people is exhibiting toxic positivity and employs some or all of those Ds? I think that the other person often will feel very much invalidated, um, unheard. In some instances, I've seen where folks have discussed feeling re-traumatized or re-abused, so to speak, because the silence felt shaming. So in other words, the lack of acknowledgement around what they were saying felt like silence, and that produced a shame reaction. Um, It can feel isolating. So it's like, okay, it's not a safe place for me to share what I'm really experiencing. What's going on when somebody employs toxic positivity? When the brain and the central nervous system becomes inundated and flooded, Uh, we basically have a coping mechanism that kicks in where we lean into that feeling and that emotion or those experiences, or we lean out. And sometimes people lean so far out that they begin to disconnect. On the other end of that, from a clinical perspective, there are dissociative disorders where people 
as a coping skill get into the habit, the pattern way of behaving and behavioral thinking that's really maladaptive in that they have as a habit depersonalization where they're, they're an outside observer in their life. They don't feel things, not just emotionally, but when I've worked with clients that experience this, they also don't have a lot of feeling in their body somatically. It's because they learned to shut down those parts of themselves because they, at some level they felt it was too difficult. And then on a lighter side, sometimes people just don't know what to say. They don't know how to handle it and they don't want to say the wrong thing. So therefore they either don't say anything or they say something that's really, you know, sort of out of touch with that toxic positivity. What are some things that people can do when they're confronted with difficult or tough information from someone if they feel like they can't think of something to say or they're worried about saying the wrong thing? You know, and I think this is where we have an opportunity as human beings to let go of our ego, to let go of the idea that we have to know it all and that we have to do it all perfectly. And if nothing more, it's absolutely appropriate to say, that sounds like that was really tough. How was that for you? Or gosh, I cannot imagine. Tell me more. I think the let me know if you need something almost feels a little cliche. And I think that oftentimes people that are struggling with grief or loss or depression or sickness there's a certain amount of shame that comes with needing help anyway. So they, they're more often than not, they're not going to reach it back out if they really do need something. So I do think that to be more specific to say, have you been eating? Would you like some food dropped off? Would it help you to have a conversation or a Zoom call? Do you like coffee? You know, that kind of thing, something specific, because then they can say yes or no, very specifically. Is it possible to retrain our brains to focus on a different, more appropriate response or look for something else to do besides over-the-top positivity or inappropriate responses? One of those things is just to be able to sit, like to be able to literally get, get comfortable sitting in spaces where we feel a little uncomfortable and, and get comfortable sitting with a little silence. You know, we don't have to fill every gap in conversation with a response or a laugh or comment about the weather. And part of that means that we also have to retrain our brain to get comfortable with sitting with, with ourselves. Because I think to the extent that we can be comfortable with our own discomfort, with our own pain, with our own disconnection, with our own trials or trauma, is to the extent that we can also extend that to other people. Janice Rockman is a neuropsychotherapist in private practice in Central Texas. And Denise, we thank you so much for your time and discussion today. Thank you, Jennifer.